Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Adam Brandon, with Simon away unfortunately this week. But we will be covering match day three in in as much depth as we possibly can. And with me to do that is Tom Robinson and Austin Miller. Um, Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, uh, Adam. It's, uh, it's well, lots of Libertadores football as always. And, and now we're getting into sort of the, the middle of the, the group stage. It's, you know, the storylines are starting to emerge and everything starts to feel a bit more uh, important. So, yeah, maybe not the, the most entertaining group, a week of football, but uh, certainly everything is getting uh, getting very interesting. And Austin, how's things over there on the other side of the Andes. I'm doing well, Adam. To be completely honest with you, I feel like we could really use like a two-week break right now in the Libertadores because things are just happening so fast that, you know, we're already through three match days. We've got three more still to come that a two-week break to kind of let the tension build would be really appreciated. But on we charge. And uh, as, as Tom said, maybe not the most exciting week of action, um, but certainly the storylines are building as we get closer to the end of the group stage, even though it feels like the group stage just started. Yes, it's a particularly relentless Libertadores this year with uh, with six match days in six weeks, no, Austin? Yeah, and we didn't really finish the last tur- Like We just finished the last tournament <laughs> too, so it's just kind of felt like the Libertadores hasn't really stopped since it got started back again in September. And that may or may not be because I'm working for the Libertadores, so can confirm it definitely feels like it hasn't stopped since September. Yeah, um, well, to run through... Um, group stage at this point as as it's the halfway point we've decided to go group by group so let's start with the matches in group A um, first of all we saw Palmeiras um, continue their 100% record in, in, in group um, as they claimed uh, win over Defensa y Justicia. Bit of revenge there for the defeat they suffered recently in the Recopa Sudamericana, no? Austin? Yeah, exactly. Um, a 100% record for Palmeiras in the group stage. It feels like we're just repeating ourselves from, you know, the last time we talked about the group stage and the time before that and the time before that. This is a team that it really feels like has, you know, figured out uh, the group stage of the Libertadores. They've been the top team in the group stage for a couple of years now running. And they look to be well on their way to, if not the top team, one of the top teams. Um, this was, I think, a tricky draw on paper for Palmeiras. But once they took care of that home match against Independiente del Valle, once they survived against Universitario, it kind of felt like they got into gear. And they did against Defensa Justicia. Um, Roni, who has been really, really good in this competition, um, was a big part of why they won it last year with both goals um, right after halftime. For Palmeiras, um, some good backflip celebrations as well from him. Defensa did get one back, and it kind of looked like, you know, that Ray Copa might repeat itself a little bit where Palmeiras would, would throw away a lead. But in the end, they didn't. Three more points for them, and they're on nine points. Tom, I think we can say Palmeiras are probably going to go through in first. What have you made of Defensa's campaign so far in, in the Libertadores group stage? Some good results, uh, particularly the draw away in Quito, I think. Four points fair for what they've done? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair for, for where they're at right now. I think we've always seen them as vying for second place with uh, Independiente de, del Valle and the performance yeah certainly last week was was very good against the Peruvians and they showed sort of a different side of their game in in the first uh, first match um uh, up in uh, uh, I've completely forgotten uh, yeah up against Independiente del Valle um but yeah I think this game felt there was also almost a sense of inevit- inevitability about the result, but they still made a good show of it. Um, they were, we have to say, very depleted yeah, by definitely. COVID. I think there were 14 absences. So no Frias, no Pizzini, no Enzo Fernandez. importantly, Brian Romero, um, not available either. So there were some pretty big names missing. Um, and they, I thought they had an all right first half. But yeah, as you mentioned, Ronnie is, I mean, he's probably one of the best players in South America right now. And I think that's seven goals and nine assists in 13 Libertadores games for Palmeiras. So he's on absolute fire. And another player as well that I think we should we should give some love to who you know we've we've mentioned plenty before as well but Patrick de Paula I was I was really impressed with his all-round game you know he 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 did you know really good work for on both 
the Balmenis goals, um, particularly the second one. He kind of won the ball back on the edge of his area, showing that um, defensive side to his game, but also can pick a really nice pass and, and he's developing into a really, really promising player. So 2-1, um, you know, obviously they would have fancied themselves to maybe sneak something, but given the circumstances around the game, it's not the end of the world and um, and they'll, yeah, hope to be still in with a shout of getting that second place. And one final thing, Tom, uh, Luis Adriano had a really good pass on one of the goals. I literally can't remember mm, which one. They all run nice. together by the end of the week to me. But just a pinpoint perfect pass to set up one of one of Ronnie's goals. And so I think this Palmeiras attack is, is clicking a little bit. Uh, they've been up and down in just about everything but the Libertadores over the past couple of months, but they've been really good in this competition. They're the defending champions, and they look well on their way to the round. Yeah, and um, yeah, so it looks like Palmeiras are going through in first, as we've said. Um, but yeah, the, the, it's really hotting up the race for second spot in this group. Looks like it's going to be between Defensa and Independiente de Valle. Uh, both sides sit on four points. After 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 three games each, and it's starting to feel a bit like whoever can rack up the most goals against Universitario and also not lose too many <laughs> against Palmeiras might um it might just come down to goal difference um it's sort of across those games and at the moment Independiente de Valle they they managed to reel back some of those uh, goals with their 4-0 victory over Universitario on, on Tuesday night. Of course, they'd got thrashed by Palmeiras the week before, so it was in, it was important for them to get a big win in this group. Um, Tom, this was a pretty impressive response from the Ecuadorians. Some really nice goals, and as you would expect from, from this side. Easily cut through the Peruvian defence on, on numerous occasions. Peruvian side barely laid a glove on them in, in, in 90 minutes. And um, and yeah, it looks like uh, it's going to be a straight race for second between them and defence. Yeah, for sure. Um, as you said there, there was it was just a huge gulf in talent. Um, I think it was probably about 70% possession for the Ecuadorians. And and as you said, a really good performance. But I think more importantly, they they finally sort of showed that clinical edge that they've been missing um, beforehand. You know, we all know that they they like to dominate possession and, and play the ball around really nicely. But as you said, they were just slicing through uh, Universitario with, with ease. Um, you know, particularly the second goal. There was a sort of a really, I mean, a very nice pass from Pacho in the back. But he sort of dissected the whole team with one pass almost and and picked out Utado, who, who then um, pops it into the into the middle for Murillo to, to score. And and yeah, I think uh, generally speaking, we were seeing the best of uh, Independiente del Valle and uh, Vite was uh, was really, really impressive. He's a, he's a young man that we've obviously all highlighted as, as a player to watch and maybe the next uh, big talent to come off that production line. But he was really running things creatively for, for the Ecuadorians. Really nice um, through ball for, for the first goal for Sanchez, who had a good game um, when he came on, um, cut, cutting him from the flank to, to score a couple of goals. And Vite was also at the heart of the move for the for the third goal as well. So it looks, uh, as he said, like it's going to be a case of uh, who can rack up the most goals. And, and now that it's level on points with defender after three games it's uh it is getting really really interesting in a group that always promised so much so uh yeah i think uh definitely whoever gets out of this group they're going to be they're going to be teams that we should be keeping a keen eye on because they've they've both got the the potential to, to go and far, one thing to, to point out tom these two teams played on match day one which means they'll play on match day six so Independiente del Valle and Defensa Justicia, you'd probably expect that game to close out this group will determine who goes through. But as Adam pointed out, the goal differential could be massive because that could allow one of those two teams to be able to play for a draw in that match. And so if you force your opponent to have to win rather than need, being the team that needs to win, that could prove all the difference. And, you know, one positive result against Palmeiras or one negative result against Universitario could also swing the the pendulum as those teams kind of head towards what appears to be an inevitable kind of one-on-one match for second place on match day six. Yep, certainly seems the case, doesn't it? Let's move on to Group B, where International are leading the way now. Um, they have recovered from that shock defeat 
shock in a way. We kind of covered that in in the first uh, in the first match day, whether how much of a shock it was or not. But yeah, they, they lost to Always Ready and Bolivia in that first match day, but they've responded really well since then with two wins. And uh, and this one was a mightily impressive six-one win over Olympia. Um, that brings their total of goals to ten goals in in their last two Libertadores matches now. And yeah, this uh, this Brazilian side is really starting to look like it's coming together under their uh, their Spanish coach, no Tom. Yeah, they're really asserting their dominance in the in the group now, as I think we all expected them to do. And it was a really dazzling second half display um, against, a, admittedly, a very disappointing Olympia. Um, only one nil at half time. Um, after. Yeah, one nil at half time. Uh, Questa's header gave them the lead, um, but then after that, they yeah they just really turned it on. Eden Nilsson with a penalty, two goals from uh, Thiago Gajardo, who's uh, showing that he's keeping that great form from last year. The, the second one was really nice from him as well. Really nice one-two with Prachedes and and a really delightful lob. Um, and then they just showed that strength and depth with Yuri Alberto, the young striker um, who who's on great form as well. You know, if, if they don't hurt you with one, they've always got that option off the bench. And then a really nice, uh, beautiful bicycle kick to, to finish off the, uh, uh, the the sixth goal there from Kai Vidal, another decent youngster as well. Just a bit of a uh, sort of consolation penalty for Derlis Gonzalez at the end and, and Roque Santa Cruz missed quite a, a simple chance by his standards in the dying matters but the game was completely gone by that point and um, I think one one player who really stood out was Tyson um, the big return yeah I mean such such a impressive player to be able to add to an already pretty stacked roster so to have him just bossing things in the middle as, as the number 10 I think that's only going to be a good thing for for Internacional and and as for Olympia I mean what do they do now Austin do they do you think they've got a chance still in this group or I mean there's talk that they might be switching manager you know is this going to be a big casualty in, in the early stages do you think when this draw came out it looked about as perfect as you could draw it up for an Olympia side that as we've talked about was under a lot of pressure coming into this tournament to you know put together a positive run in this competition something they just hadn't been able to do and then you know they throw away their first game in Venezuela against Deportivo Tachira a very beatable team struggle mightily uh, at sea level against another very beatable team and always ready and then this performance as you said was just way off where it needed to be um, you know you can afford to lose in Porto Alegre but throwing away five goals of goal differential could be absolutely massive as this group comes down the stretch. Although I will say, Tom, you left out the best part of Darius Gonzalez's penalty, which was when he sprinted to the back of the net to retrieve the ball to go take it back to the kickoff at 6-1 down. Which, like, I don't know what he's supposed to do in that situation, but I enjoyed the fact that 6-1 down, he was like, all right, let's get back on it. Gotta keep the faith. Gotta keep <laughs> yeah, the faith. keep the faith, sure. Um, I have to say that um, just... There is a slight Chilean perspective on all this that I wanted to bring up. Of course, these were two great results for Internacional over the last couple of weeks and scoring 10 goals. But the fact that their big Chilean signing, Carlos Palacios, got sent off in in, in the game last week, um, so he missed out. On the on the glory of that win last week, and then the glory of this one as well is uh, is far from ideal from the Chilean perspective. I'm not sure he's going to get his place back in the team now. Yeah, he's going to have a bit of a, a fight, but I think because it's this such a mad schedule of week after week, you've got loads of games. You're going to need a deep squad, and I think that's where we're going to see certainly some of the bigger Brazilian and Argentinian teams prevail with with all this. Yeah, talent and depth, basically that they've got there, um, and yeah, I, I think there'll be there'll, there'll be still chances for him. You know, they've got a, a really good manager there, and they're you know committed to a style of play which you can see week on week being instilled more and more. It's it's pretty high risk and, and high reward. You know, there's there was a chance, a couple of chances for Olympia where you know Internacional trying to play out from the back. Potentially, I, mean, I think even one where they lost it in their own penalty box from a goal kick, and uh, and somehow Olympia failed to score. Um, so I think this there are certainly some potential weak points in this side, um, but certainly they are they're sort of beginning to 
to make a name for themselves as a as a potential contender. I think with uh, with the players they've got there, and I'm and I'm sure Palacios will give uh, you something to to cheer about, Adam. Even if the the Chilean clubs maybe maybe don't. Yeah, like uh, Derlis Gonzalez taking the ball out the net at six 0 I'm also keeping the faith. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the other game in this group featured always ready obviously one of the one of the best named teams in in South America but they've, they've actually been pretty impressive so far in the competition um like we mentioned earlier they beat international on the first match day as Austin mentioned you know they gave Olympia a real game last week actually I I was watching that game and I fell asleep when it was one nil <laughs> I woke up to see that wow, that's a terrible one. thing to wake up to <laughs> I was I was quite disappointed when I when I rewound it back on, on my telly to see what happened in the in the minutes that I'd missed. Yeah, a little bit of disappointment there, but yeah, they've bounced back well this week, and uh, and yeah, but they're looking like a decent bet for, to come through in second in this group now, especially with Olympia suffering such a heavy loss. Yeah, I think. This was another good performance from them. Um, and look, Bolivian clubs always have altitude at their backs, and, and that's a, a big help, and that's pretty much the reason they were able to beat Internacional. But they were good against Deportivo Tatra in this match. Um, a good solid header from uh, Marcos Ovejero gave them the one nothing lead. They were a little bit shaky in defense at points. They gave Tatra some looks. Um, but of course, the ex-Boca Juniors keeper, Carlos Lampe, able to keep them in this match. A couple of big saves from him um, that kept this match at 1-0 um, when I think Tatra you know, had a couple of good chances to make it 1-1. And then a, a bit of a, a controversial penalty to, to make it 2-0. Not that the penalty itself was controversial, but the build-up to it, um, there was a dropped ball situation and Robert Hernandez, the Venezuelan midfielder for always ready, uh, Tatra expected him to give the ball back to them and he elected not to, instead playing a through ball to the ex-AFC Envigado man, John Jairo Mosquera, who was then brought down in the box for a penalty. He converted the penalty to make it 2-0. Tatra were none too pleased about that. Uh, but a 2-0 win for Always Ready. And as you said, Adam, this sets up a big match next week in La Paz where Always Ready will face Olympia. And with the goal differential the way that it is, and with the point situation the way that it is, and with always ready having already banked a three three points against the best team in this group, Internacional, Olympia probably need to win that match if they're going to go through. It's kind of difficult to chart a path for them out of this group if they only get a point or especially if they lose that match. So a really, really big match for Olympia and a huge opportunity for always ready because I think nine points would probably be enough to get them out of this group as long as they don't concede a huge amount of goals to Internacional on the final match day, which granted could happen, but Inter might be already through, done and dusted and content to kind of play out a two or three nil win. So a big, big match next week, I think between always ready and Olympia to determine what's going to happen in this group B going forward. I think we need to give a, a little bit of love for the, uh, the, the celebration of, uh, from the first goal from Ovejero, a nice little, nice little dance. I, I appreciated that. Even if he does look a bit like a, an own brand uh, Arturo Vidal, um, but yeah, that was uh, that was something that we we couldn't leave out. It's always always nice to see a good celebration. Indeed, indeed. Let's uh, let's move on to Group C, and one of the surprise packages for me, I think, in in, in this year's competition, and and that's Barcelona, who are leading the way in that group, and they pulled off mightily impressive win over Boca Juniors in midweek and that leaves them on nine points and Boca on six and Santos back in third on just three points last year's runners up of course and and you've got to say that you know it's it's looking like the Ecuadorians are, are pretty much almost there into the last 16 of the competition and we're only halfway through this this group which looked like a very tough task for them going into it. Yeah, they've been um, certainly one of the the pleasant surprises of this tournament so far, and they'd have to really muck things up now to to not to get out in, even you know at least in second place. But they're looking professional. They're not. They're able to sort of turn it on when they need to. This game, it felt like both sides were 
prioritizing not conceding um but they they have that quality what? there and miguel um, angel russo not conceding <laughs> priority boca no yeah well uh, yeah he, he probably should have been more focused on on not getting taken out by uh barcelona players because there was quite an uh, amusing moment where uh i think pineda he went um, down hard went to yeah, yeah, he was like a, a mighty oak crashing down. And, uh, you, you know, you've got to think someone who's that defensive minded should have seen something like that coming. But um, but yeah, it was a really strange lineup for Boca, actually. They went for a very workmanlike midfield of Capaldo, Jara and Varela. Um, Jara, who's often plays at right back. Capaldo, who's been filling in at right back a lot. And they've kind of ditched the, the kind of young triumvirate of uh, Varela, Medina and Almendra that's been working so well. And then even having Soldano and Obando, who just, again, they're, they're willing runners, but they haven't got too much uh, invention to them. And I think just, you know, no uh, Vija, um, Tevez and Moroni coming in way too late um, to really make an impact. Moroni, in fact, having the best chance for Boca hitting the post late on. Um, and realistically, it was only Pawan and, and Varela who, who's looking like he's turning into a really good defensive midfielder there. Sort of, I think he's got about a 90% average over his Boca career in the league in Libertadores. But um, yeah, all's not quite going right for Boca. They've been... They've got the job done so far, but they've never really, really turned it on. And and then you've also got the situation of uh, Esteban Andrada, who's still stuck in Ecuador, as as, um, as I record this now. Um, basically, um, the players had to take a test after the Lanús game, um, but they hadn't got the results back by the time they left Argentina. So the results got in by the time they got to Ecuador. Andrada had been confirmed as positive even though he'd been testing negative for a while I think he's he's been out for, with COVID once already and had to isolate in his hotel the Ecuadorian authorities tested everyone there weren't any more cases so they you know the rest of the team could play but um, when they were due to come back to Argentina um, the Ecuadorians were, uh, were willing to let Andrada go but I don't think the Argentinian authorities would allow a COVID positive person into the country so at the moment he's uh, he's stuck in a hotel in in Ecuador his partner's been sounding off on social media, saying of you know ne- neglect by Boca, and it's yeah, bit of a um, bit of a headache that Russo is not really going to be be wanting with his number one keeper sidelined and and by all accounts not very happy about it. So yeah, th- I think the fact that if Boca don't turn this around quickly, then they could find themselves in in a bit of hot water and, you know, against the the resurgent Santos. Are they really resurgent, though? As we kind of transition into the other match in this group, Santos 5-0 winners at home against the strongest. Uh, The strongest are really, really bad. Like, shockingly bad. Um, They didn't put a glove on Boca at home in La Paz and then just got thrashed twice away from home. They had conceded within the first minute of this match against Santos Mourinho scoring the first for Santos. And then it just kind of, you know, snowballed from there. Five, no win for Santos back in the group, but I I don't know if I buy it. Let's see. Um, I, I think it sets up a really intriguing match, Tom. I think that's the biggest takeaway is that next week, Boca go to the Villa Balmero. They'll face Santos. A win for Boca, and this group is pretty much done. If they draw, they're probably all right. If they lose, then this group is right back into play between those two teams, Boca and Santos. So that's I think that's the, the, the biggest takeaway here is that it sets up a really, really intriguing match next week. But whatever happens, you've got to say, you know, that's one of the teams that we probably expected for sure, the last sixteen, you know, out already, which is always great about Libid stories when you get stuck stories like that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's hard to judge them on this one game, isn't it? Because it could just be a case of being flat flat track bullies against probably one of the weakest uh, teams in the tournament. But you know, it's uh, it at least gives the next game a little bit more interest, as, as we mentioned there. And good to see Mourinho um, get back to some some form there with with a nice goal and um, and. and it, good assist there and, and involved in a couple of the other games there some some good little drag backs and flicks so you know that's that's always good for that for that spectator as well so yeah I, I still think it's it's Boca and Barcelona to go through but um, who knows there's there's always a, a surprise in the Libertadores. A little quiz for you halfway through the pod um, 
three teams so far have yet to concede a goal in the Libertadores. Which are the three teams? Um, I will let Tom answer because I literally just scheduled a tweet about this to go out on Sunday. <laughs> okay, well, oh, well, we'll let Tom is... play with the <laughs> listeners the at home. And, uh... One of them is Barcelona, yeah. right? Okay. Um, so it's definitely not Universitario. <laughs> um, Argentinos Juniors, because obviously Correct. they win all their games 2-0. Um, and then there's one more... Uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, Atletico, no, not Atletico Mineiro. It is a Brazilian club, which narrows it down to about half the field in the competition. But they're tricky yeah. because they haven't won yeah. all three of their matches, so you naturally maybe wouldn't think of yeah. them as having not conceded. But yeah. Good job, Tom. Well done. That's a good quiz. M- more of that, please. Yeah. Regular feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's move on to Group D, um, where Fluminense lead the way, but they are tied on five points with River Plate. We expect we expected, I think, like pre-tournament, for these two sides to make it through in the group, leaving the Colombians in third and fourth place. And that, at the moment, looks how it's playing playing out. But perhaps both sides. Who sit on five points, you know, with one win and, and two draws, Flu and River Plate. They're both a bit guilty of not really taking their chances in matches, it seems. Um, let's start with that Fluminense game, which finished 1 1 in Colombia against. Uh, was it played in Colombia in the end? It was not. So that's no. kind of the. Yeah, a big story here yeah. in this group, um, obviously for the listeners, is because of the the political protests in Colombia um, against state violence, all of the matches that were due to be played in Colombia in all of the Conmebol competitions this week were moved, uh, some at very short notice. Fluminense were actually already in Barranquilla before that match got moved to Guayaquil. There's actually a match that's going to be played tonight in Lima in the Sudamericana. Uh, so Santa Fe River was moved to Asuncion. Junior Fluminense was moved to Guayaquil, and Atletico Nacional's match against Argentinos Juniors, which we'll get on to in a bit, was also moved to Asuncion. So that, obviously, um, a big effect on on the happenings in this group. Um, As far as the game itself, Adam, between Junior and Fluminense, a 1-1 draw that in the end, I think, flatters flew a little bit. Um, Junior looked, I think, as good as they have at any point in the competition so far. They went 1-0 up. After a pretty controvert, a pretty soft penalty, it, it must be said, uh, Miguel Borja went down to the box. A little bit of contact. The referee had a great view of it. Obviously, no VAR. Um, he pointed to the spot, and that was the end of it. Borja, well taken penalty, one nil. Flew hit back pretty quickly thereafter. Uh, a set piece that ended up with uh, Manchester City's new signing, Kaiki, alone at the far post, where he kind of chested down and bundled it over. As far as first Libertadores goals go, um, it's not going to make a lot of highlight reels. Uh, but he got the job done. He got it over the line, and it was 1-1. But it was really Junior who, who created a lot as the match went on. Um, the flu goalkeeper had a, had a lot to do in this match. I think he was probably man of the match, or at least should have been. Um, good chances for Borja, good chances for Hinesrosa, good chances for a lot of this Junior attack. They played well. They created good chances. They just weren't able to take them, and that cost them, I think, two points here in a match they probably needed the two points from in a match where they really could have had the two points. I think it's fair to say, Tom. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think this was much better from Junior, and it's definitely a draw that serves Fluminense more more than the Colombians. Um, obviously, it's it's so harsh on, the, on these Colombian sides who, in losing their home advantage really you know that's they need all the help they can get to to get out of this group and it is a tight group and the difference between the sides isn't um, as big as we've seen in other groups but yeah it's it's it seems like these things are sort of going against them although yeah as you said I definitely didn't think it was a penalty and and I think it was Kaiki who was who was harshly adjudicated to uh, to have fouled in the first place so quite a an interesting narrative for for him as well going from from zero to hero and um you know I think obviously I'd point everyone to the to the really interesting article on on the Libertadores site about about Kaiki he's um he's someone who obviously there's a lot of hype around but I think already we've seen some you know you see him actually make an impression on these games he's not someone who's just you know d- doing 
nice flicks and tricks. He's he's actually providing some end product with being involved in both the goals last week as well. So the fact that he's already yeah getting getting goals, getting um, well getting involved in in Fluminense's best moments is is a really promising sign that he can handle himself at at this level already. So yeah, I think Fluminense will be happy to have got out of that one um, with with a point, and um, it's. It still feels like it's it's both in, in theirs and Rivers' hands, really, to uh, just to not make any mistakes and and get through, even if they're not in flying uh, form just yet. Yeah, Tom, and I'll come straight back to you just to talk about River Plate. Uh, it's it sounded like from the other Tom, right, sometimes appears on 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 our podcast, and who of course runs River in English, uh, site dedicated to. River Plate in English, um, that River Plate just can't take their chances at, at, at the moment and um, and we're a little bit unlucky not to have won this game. Is that fair to say? That is very fair indeed, yeah. Um, River had much the better chances and and yeah, they, they, they've been lacking a clinical edge for, for quite some time now, particularly in the league. They're, they're, the performances have been good, but they just haven't been scoring the, the multiple chances they've been creating and it's lucky they do create so many chances because usually at least one of them goes in um you know they were they were a bit unlucky here they had they hit the post twice one through uh Rollheiser and, and another from a uh, header from Girotti I think um there was also a, a penalty shout for Caracal one of those ones that you've you've seen them given um and there's probably was contact but does it necessarily mean it's a foul? It's it's one of those ones that you it could have gone either way, really. I mean, I suppose they got what got away with one against Junior the week uh, before, so maybe that's karma coming back to them. And and Armani did have to make a good couple of saves with his feet. You know, came out uh, well twice to make some pretty important. Yeah, that two on one but, save um, in particular, Tom, I thought was mm-hmm. a really big moment in this match where it, it looked like Santa Fe. They, I mean, they were they were handed this golden chance to steal, and it would have been a. Uh, robbery the three points and Armani made a really big save one-on-one some poor play I thought from Santa Fe they maybe didn't take the chance as well as they could have but that was a big moment to at least ensure that River got out of here with a point that kind of keeps this group as the status quo exactly and and I think as well if you look at the the lineup for River it was a bit of a second string team um most of the midfield and attack had been changed there was I think first starts for Palavicino obviously Girotti is a young striker who I think was one of the players who came away with with most credit to his name but um yeah certainly a lot of changes in that in that midfield and, and forward. So you could maybe understand some of the, the rustiness in terms of the finishing there. Um, but um, yeah, a result that probably won't bother the river too much as, as you said, it keeps the status quo as it is, but at the same time, a frustrating one and, and something they need to watch out for going forward because against better sides, you need to take those, those chances. Yeah. I think the takeaway in this group, Tom, as we kind of close it out here, is on paper, this group looks like it's open enough that, that a run from either of the Colombian sides could, could make it interesting, but you just really haven't seen enough from either of them. And given the situation in the country and, and the fact that I think we can probably safely say that they probably won't be playing at home for the rest of this group stage, um, it's just pretty hard to see either of these Colombian teams doing enough to... to kind of make flu or river pay for the fact that they haven't quite been as clinical as they could have been yeah totally i think as i said they're not bad sides no at all, no for sure they're just not quite as good and and obviously that you know certainly junior their games in Barranquilla usually give them an uh you know proper fortress and and obviously their their minds are just going to be focusing on let's let's be frank more important issues back home you know lots of people affected in, in many ways and some you know horrible things uh, that we're seeing there so it's um yeah it's it's one of those things that is yeah, it's bigger than football, and is is clearly not going to have a a positive influence. Maybe it could have a galvanising um, impact on the team. Who knows? But probably it's going to it's going to be an unwanted distraction. And um, yeah, I think it's it's a shame. Um, but at the same time, even if one of them did get through, I don't think we'd see them troubling the the latter stages. At and also altitude for Independiente Santa Fe. You know, they they had to, they played their first match at about half the altitude of what they usually get in Bogota and their second match here was played at sea level. Um that's a big loss for a team that, you know, had kind of probably countered counted on altitude being a big factor for them. Indeed, indeed. Let's move on to 
Group E, um, where well, the most exciting group. Well, we've already met. Yeah, this won't take we've, long. We've already mentioned uh, one of the teams in this group, Sao Paulo. They they continued their decent start to the competition with a nil nil draw away um, against Harassing, and they they now sit top of this group, crucially. And uh, and yeah, on seven points, and you've got to say they're probably one win now from 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 making it through. And I think most of us would have expected them to 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 win this group um, before the competition started. Do you have much to say about their nil nil draw in Argentina? Um, not really. There wasn't there wasn't a lot to tell. Um, it was you know Sao Paulo are a good side. It doesn't feel like Crespo has has really imprinted his style. Um, 100% on this team just yet um, and you could probably say this was their biggest test so far if you can really call this Racing much of a test it was a bit feisty there were a couple of good chances uh, Racing had a pretty big chance where they sort of hit the hit the woodwork twice in, in quick succession Sigali somehow contriving to to hit the bar from a few yards out when it looked to be a sure goal Um Danny Alves had a free kick that hit the or clipped the crossbar, um, and there was a there was a good save right at the end um, when when Sao Paulo were down to 10, 10 men. Thiago Volpi saving from Santiago Godoy, young twenty year old who'd who'd come on. Um, yeah, and, and apart from that, there wasn't too much. There was a a straight red for for William uh, came on in the seventy second minute. Straight red on the eightieth, which is uh which is what we like to like to see in the Libertadores. Bit harsh, I thought. He's he had a really big sort of swinging boot to try and boot the ball away and it looked really wild but, uh, but I don't think he actually caught the player with his you know the, the swinging leg it was more kind of his trailing leg that that followed through and, and probably a yellow would have been um, sufficient but I think the optics on it looked like it was a horror challenge even if um, it probably wasn't as bad but yeah not a lot to say about this game well, I just say these two sides should uh, you know should make it through comfortably now I think uh, I think Juan Antonio Pizzi, the former Chile manager, of course, and uh, and Saudi Saudi Arabia managerial legend as well. <laughs> 2018 World Cup. He he's not proving too popular there, is he? No, they're already talking about his replacement, and he's still the manager. And he's like, "Hey, I'm still the manager." They're like, "Yeah, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to be the manager for long. We all know it." So yeah, the other game in this group finished. Also finished nil nil. Yep, yep. Um, and, and yeah, that was between Rentistas of Uruguay and Sporting Cristal of, of Peru. This will feel like a missed opportunity for both sides, no, to put put a bit of pressure on harassing in in this group. Yeah, but also like no. I mean, I kind of feel like Sporting Cristal had their chance, and that was that match away to Racing when they should have gotten at least a point and could have gotten three and ended up getting zero. Rentistas, anything they do in this competition is is probably a positive. And the fact that they're currently in the driver's seat for a spot in the Sudamericana round of 16, I think would be a massive success for them. This game was bad. These teams are not particularly good. Uh, Sporting Cristal were the better side. They created more. But as we saw against Racing, they just were incapable of finishing their chances. Um, and look. At this level, if you're going to make an impact on this competition, you have to be able to finish. You have to be able to finish, and they just weren't able to finish. Um, this is now 21 matches without a win for Peruvian clubs in the Libertadores. Their last win was the famous 2-1 home win for Binacional against Sao Paulo on the first match day of last year's Libertadores group stage. And given the way that Sporting Cristal and Universitario have played so far, it's hard to see that streak breaking, although you'd think Cristal would back themselves to at least beat Rentistas at home and get to the Sudamericana. I, this has been a really good draw for Racing, I think is the biggest takeaway here, because they've been pretty poor. Uh, you mentioned it, Adam. Pizzi is, is a dead man walking in charge of that club. Uh, but because of the other two teams in this group have just been incapable of really troubling them, they're probably going to be able to sneak into the round of 16, although I don't imagine they'll have much impact on the competition once they get there. Don't search out the highlights of Rentista Sporting Cristal, trust me. That, that'll be my final takeaway from this one. I was going to just say, it was basically the definition of two bald men fighting over a comb. It was it was that bad. <laughs> Washington Grosso missing so many chances. Oh, definitely agree with Austin. Do not watch the highlights of this game. 
Right, let's uh, let's move on to the two most important groups of the Libertadores because they feature Ch- Chilean teams. Um, you couldn't so they... even finish that with a straight face, <laughs> could you, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're, so there's Group F, and um, we we save the best for last in this group. So we will start with Argentina's juniors. They won two 0 again. Um, we kind of we kind of already mentioned their their great record of two 0 wins so far in this uh, in this competition. But this Tom is their most impressive one yet. Oh, massively! I mean, nine points, six goals for, zero against. You just I mean, we should just be writing their name on the trophy already and just brace yourself for a, a decade of dominance from um, Los Bichos Colorados. Um, they, but yeah, really, really they, good. They could finally get their hands on the World Club Cup as well because they only just missed out on that on penalties, I believe, in the 80s. Exactly. Maybe they could get all the, all the players that have come through their, their famous youth ranks together. I mean, they've even got Redondo's son looking to break through as well. So, oh, so many so many storylines there at La Paternal. Um, but yeah, again, just a really, really impressive performance from them. Uh, Milito's got them really solid at the back and they've they've crucially got a man up front who is in probably the form of his life, um, Gabriel Avalos Stumpfs, to give him his, his full name. Um, he's got four goals in his last five, seven in his last 11. Um, I think he's, he's rarely got into double figures for his entire career um and he's yeah he's, he's must, already doing great must you know, be the, diego maradona waving a magic wand yeah exactly <laughs> you, they've got yeah diego from up above um guiding them uh to the title um but yeah they've um they, they've been they've been really really good uh again obviously again atletico nacional unlucky to not have that home advantage realistically and no, yes, and Mosquera at the back after his nightmare show against uh, Nacional in the in the previous game, but it didn't really help their defence. Both the goals, um, I think, were were quite avoidable. Um, you know, sort of the first one, Gomez had a speculative shot that kind of nutmegged and ricocheted off Perea's legs and and fell to Avalos, who just sat sat down Oliveira and, and finished really nicely. And and Oliveira's night didn't get much better because he got a red card later on, and then. Yeah, Avalos late on made it uh, made it two nil again. Gomez, uh, Elias Gomez this time, um, the left back who I, th- I think that's a really good, a really good sort of good part of Argentinos' play is how they they use their fullbacks very well to give them extra width and and quite a few of their goals have come th- from them. Um, he he managed to get in and um, and then yeah, the ball came to Avalos who who had a really nice controlled vo- volley over the defender. Uh, I don't know where Banguero, the Atletico Nacional left back was at, th- at that stage of the game. Um, They're absolutely queuing up at the back post, but yeah, really, really impressive. And um, one of the, well, probably the surprise package of this entire to- uh, tournament, because certainly when we're all looking forward to the tournament, um, this was probably the Argentine Argentinian side that we were least uh, excited about, and and they're they're showing everyone you know how how wrong they were. You're exactly right, Tom. And in talking about this Argentino side before the tournament even started, the biggest question was, all right, you know they might be able to be organized, but can they score? And the answer so far has been yes, and that's pretty much why they're sitting here on nine points. And this result, Adam, combined with by far the best performance we've seen from defending champions of Chile, Universidad Católica, means that the race for second place is well and truly on in, in Group F. Has has Gus Poyet figured it out? Yeah, well, this this was this just came as a huge shock to me, to be honest. Uh, I just didn't expect it at all. Católica have been pretty dire for, for weeks, uh, but at, at the weekend they, they lost... Um, 2-0 and deservedly lost 2-0 as well to newly promoted Deportes Melipilla here in Chile and yeah I went into this game thinking yeah this will probably be another defeat maybe 1-0, 2-1 something something along those lines but instead we got like a really bright and certainly in the second half really attacking display of, of football I think they had more shots in this game than they had done in sort of their, their previous few games in in both Libertadores and the league um, put together 
So yeah, it, it was it was a remarkable turnaround in 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 performance levels, and the second half especially was really exciting to watch from Catolica at times, especially once the little winger Clemente Montes came on with uh, with just over half an hour to go. He really lit up. He really lit up the game when he came on, and Bambino Pons, the famous singing commentator. Here in here here in South America, he doesn't do it unfortunately for Libertadores matches, only Premier League. But I think uh, I think if he had done it for Libertadores, he would have come up with um, a, a song to serenade Montez by because he he was falling in love with him with sort of every move and touch that he had um, in this game. And yeah, and Montez was the player who finished off. This 3-1 win with a really nice finish from an assist from Marcelino Nunes, a player I've really liked here for a while here in Chile as well. And I thought he ran the game in midfield um, along with Juan Leva, who finally got a chance to start in the Libertadores ahead of Luciano Ed. Um, and I feel like that midfield pairing is, is a way forward for this side because um, finally they showed sort of the levels of intensity and energy that so many of us have been have been asking for, um, but yeah, the, the game the game started with San Pedri um, on about half an hour mark, um, converting a penalty. Leandro Fernandez, who was the best player on the pitch in the first half, he he equalised for Nacional. Um, but yeah, a, a fantastic strike from substitute Diego Valencia put Cotolica back in front two one on the hour mark. And yeah, like I say, the like the last half an hour was just the Clemente Montes show. He he, the national defence just couldn't handle him, and uh, yeah, he finally got the goal that he deserved to to seal this victory for for Cotolica. And yeah, it'd be very interesting if they can if they can keep this up, and when we're soon going to find out if this was a freak performance or it it, it is the start of of Poet really starting to affect things. In the in the dugout because they've got a tough game at a weekend against Union La Calera, um, and then of course they've got a, another Libertadores match um, n- next week as well. Away to the unbeaten um, and hundred percent record Argentinos Junior. So yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fascinating week coming up for Catalonia to see whether or not this was a flash in the pan or the start of the turnaround. Yeah, I think from the Uruguayan perspective as well, it's it's uh, just been so con- inconsistent for Nacional. You know, they've got a re- they've got a really good squad, um, and they've just yeah they've just not shown what they can do at all. You know, we were hoping that maybe we'd get some more of the the display that we saw against Atlético Nacional last week, but there was there was none of that, and it was it was back to that poor poor performance that we saw in the first week against Argentinos Juniors as well. Um, they're just yeah surprisingly poor in defensive transitions, which is never something you'd usually say about Nacional. They're usually so organised. But on the other hand, part of me is confused. Like, do do we cut them a little bit of slack for the fact they've got a new manager trying to n- implement a new style, quite a new uh, few new faces in the squad? They've had no warm up or pre season for this tournament in a pretty tough group. It's a very different style from last season as well. I have to say, mm. and. And you kind of think, on one hand, is that just foolish to try and implement such a radically different style in such a short amount of time um, with the with the group of players? And are, have there been errors in sort of chopping and changing, particularly throwing lots of different combinations of young defenders in there as well? Or is it something you say, okay, let's stick with this project, come back stronger next year? Um, it's it's just a bit of a bit of a weird scenario that I think has divided a lot of Nacional fans because you know South America you don't often get a lot of time to implement these ideas especially one of the biggest clubs in the country um, so it's been yeah really disappointing from from Nacional and um, thoroughly well beaten by Catolica um, as Adam said there some some really nice goals all round and um, yeah it just make, means this maybe not the biggest names in in this group but certainly one of the more even groups that i think could could still um 
have plenty of twists and, and tw- turns before before the end of uh, the sixth week. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, let's move on to Group G. Um, another Chilean side was in action in this group, but unfortunately it didn't go very well for them. When you know Calera going down 2-0 at home to Vélez Sarsfield. Um, yeah, we kind of discussed this game a little bit pre-pod, didn't we, Tom? Uh, like, this, this wasn't necessarily... Uh, undeserved victory for Vélez but it was one of those games that you felt like whoever got the first goal was always going to be the more likely winner um, just how the game was playing out and also when you know Calera they were down to 10 men for much of the second half but still gave Vélez a real game until they sealed it in injury time. Yeah definitely it was such a vital game for both sides if they if they had any hopes of potentially getting out of this group and um and yeah as you said not a vintage performance from Velez and I think they were maybe a little bit more cautious um having having been sort of beaten in in both uh, other games when they sort of go trying to go toe to toe with uh, with the other teams in the group so they they just showed that they were a little bit more clinical you know La Calera created some good chances and had had enough to get something out of this game um but I think Perhaps you could just see their inexperience at this level. Um, just, you know, I think we saw with Defensive Justicia last year as well, you know, when it's your first time in the in the tournament, these kind of narrow games, you can you can sometimes find yourself edged out. And um, and certainly there were enough chances for La Calera to at least get a draw. Um, but, you know, Velez will be happy. And I think they've, their performances thus far have, have deserved more than what they've got at the moment. So... Um, on that side, and, and wearing my uh, Velez hat, um, you know, very happy on on that res- uh, respect. Really nice goal. Um, well, both the goals are very nice from Velez. Actually, the first one, really incisive pass from deep from Almada, who found Galdemez, who squared it for Bauzat, um, just to kind of pass it into the net. And then Orejano coming off the bench, um, sealing the game for Velez. Um, looked like the pass to him had maybe just been not quite into his feet, but he managed to get there before the defender's desperate lunge and and pulled off one of his trademark left-footed curlers um, from from the right wing. Really nice finish. So a shame shame for the Chileans because, you know, I I, I do have a soft spot for this Calera side. But um, yeah, happy for Velez. One Chilean who did have a really good game, I thought, was on the Velez side. That was Gaudemes. He had a really Mm. good game in midfield. Back on Chilean soil. Um, Yeah, but I I think from uh, the Calera's perspective, a couple of misses from Rivero in in the first half were were really costly in this game. And the Calera actually finished the game with nine men. Valencia got uh, two yellow cards towards the end of the match as well. So that's not ideal going going forward either. Had a half chance with nine men too, Adam, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. Like the... It was it was a uh, it was frustrating from that perspective because it it looked like La Calera could score at any point during the game, but yeah, they just couldn't quite force it over the line. But yeah, I think they can remain a little bit of a, a tricky opposition, even even in the even in the other game, you know, in the other games in in this group. I don't think you can completely write them off, but yeah, it's 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 unlikely that they're going to go through, and the, and they probably have a bit of a task even getting third in this group now. Yeah, so let's move on to the... Yeah, the other game in this group was uh, Flamengo uh, against Liga de Quito. And yeah, this was a, this was a pretty impressive win for Brazilian side um, in the circumstances, you know, the altitude and all that. You know, Flamengo did lose heavily in altitude in last year's Libertadores, of course, against Independiente de Valle. So yeah, this was a, a free a free to win for for the Brazilians and they are looking like certainly one of the favourites for for this competition this year, as as we've mentioned on previous shows. Yeah, Adam, I was impressed with Flamengo as I have been for most of this tournament so far. Um, you know, they've played three matches and I think in, in two of them, um, they were, you know, the opposition was able to go toe to toe with them at points uh, and they got away with three, two wins in both of those matches. And I think that's a testament to just how good this side is at playing attacking football. Um, the defense might be a bit of a question mark, and that could be something that comes up later in this competition. Uh, but the attack is as good as you'll find anywhere on the continent. And they were 2-0 up within 30 minutes. Um, 
Gabby Goal, Gabriel Barbosa, Gabby, whatever you want to call him today, uh, scored in the first three minutes with just a really good finish. And then Bruno Henrique with a, an altitude-aided bomb uh, to make it 2-0. Liga de Quito played their best football in the second half. Um, they turned the match around. Christian Martinez-Borja got it to 2-1. Um, and then Amarisha made it 2-2. And then kind of just as they did against Velas in almost the exact same moment of the match, Falango popped up for a winner. Uh, this time via a penalty, and it was that man, Gabby, goal, Barbosa, Gabby, whatever, uh, to make it 3-2 with a really well-taken penalty. Um, and as you said, Adam, nine points now for Flamengo. Top of this group, they look pretty confident to go through, and they look like one of the favorites of this competition. Tom, what did you make of, of Flamengo, and kind of where do you see Liga fitting in with this group, particularly with a pretty big match now coming up against Vela's next week? Yeah, I, I've reluctantly had to admit how bloody good Flamengo have been, really. I think the fact that they've shown that they can pull it out of the bag in these high-scoring away matches shows they've got that character. Which they uh, never they can, had they can... before, ever, before they won. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's really important because you see sides who, who maybe have an easy group cruise through, they haven't been tested and they bomb out um, the first time they come up against some stiff opposition. Whereas we've seen Flamengo twice. Yeah. Having, having, having to really dig it out when it matters and show their quality, um, which I think is a really, really important sign for them. Obviously, as you said, there are some some weaknesses. They, they shouldn't be conceding all these goals. Um, so that's something they need to address. But particularly that second goal, I thought as well as it being a really lovely finish, it was such a good team goal as well. It's, it's rare that you get a golasso that's got both elements of a really nice team goal and an amazing finish. You know, it was really good work. I think it was maybe Joel Gomez who, who managed to keep it in, in the middle, passed it to Diego, little back heel to uh, Bruno Henrique, passed it inside, dummy from De Arisqueta and Gabi Gol laying it off for Bruno Henrique to, to finish with a plum. So, you know, that showed what they were all about. And I think Quito, I think they just gave Flamengo too much respect in the first half. Um, I think the fact that they've, they got themselves back into the game and couldn't hold on for a potentially vital point will be will be quite frustrating for them. Um, and especially that that penalty. I mean, I don't know if it was just me, but I thought that it's it's one of those ones that I think I'd be really annoyed if my team conceded it because as much as um Corroso, I think it was, um, who, who sort of went to ground to try and play the ball. And, and, you know, as soon as you go into ground, you're asking for the referee to make a decision. But he kind of, he went to slide to sort of hook yeah, it away. It and then Deskereta used all his kind of nous to say, if I just run into that area, like even though he's not touched the ball, uh, neither of the players touched the ball. He kind of it prevented him from like hooking his leg around to, to sweep it away. It was a bit um, Matty Cash on, on a Harry Kane as, a, as an example of, you know, not a player nipping the ball away, but just someone being a bit stupid to slide in the box and, and the, the player being savvy enough to be like, here's an opportunity, I'm yeah, going to take very it. So clumsy. I felt a little bit... That, that's the word I Yeah, clumsy, it. definitely. Clumsy, really. Right, yeah. But um, yeah, I think Deus Gieta is again just using his nous, coming up with a big moment, albeit you know not as spectacular as his goal against Velez. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's in terms of the the group dynamic, it's it's going to make it interesting with with Velez and El Quito, both the sides that we expected to kind of be battling out for um, for seconds. Uh, you know that narrows the gap between them, and and I think yeah, when they play each other next, it's it's going to be a a really really big really big game um, between them to see who can take the initiative and momentum. Yep, and let's uh, let's round this pod off by quickly going through Group H. Um, Atletico Mineiro, they ran out 4-0 winners against Sierra Porteño. That's a terrible week for, for the two big Paraguayan sides, that's for sure. Um, Austin, it's quite interesting to me that we've got six Brazilian sides topping the eight groups. Um, we've seen some sort of big wins in both the Libertadores and Sudamericana for the Brazilian sides. It, it really feels like that league is is particularly strong. 
at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I think all you have to do is really look at the composition of the squads that we're talking about. You know, we already mentioned the Flamengo attack. Uh, Palmeiras are the defending champions in this competition. You know, Sao Paulo have a really good manager and have some top end talent. Internacional, top to bottom, there's a lot in that squad. One of the most exciting managers in the continent. And then this Atletico Miedo side is just loaded with talent. Um, a lot of foreign talent in this team, a lot of good Brazilian players. Um, Hulk is really unfair for this competition and this level. He's just really good. Jefferson Savarino, a player who joined Atletico Mineiro from MLS. Uh, he was at Real Salt Lake. He was really good in this game, scored a goal. Eduardo Vargas is kind of a rotation player for this Atletico Mineiro side. You know, that's a player who was playing at a really high level with Tigres in Mexico. Uh, so there's a lot of talent in this Atletico Mineiro side, and they put it together in this Cerro Porteño match. Hulk, two more goals for him. That's four goals in two halves of football for him in the Libertadores. Uh, Scored twice in the second half of their second game and twice in the second half of their third game, in the first half of their third game, I should say. And yeah, Sarah Patania just weren't at it in this game. Um, and that's now a couple of disappointing performances for them after what was a really good performance away in their first match against America to Cali. And that really opens up the second place spot in this group. But Tom, it's it's hard to see anybody beating Atletico Mineiro here in Group H. Yeah, they they could have had seven or seven or eight to be honest. They were they were really good going forward, and um, yeah, Saverino deservedly gets uh, gets some plaudits there. He could be this year's Soteldo in in terms of a uh, of a talented young Venezuelan who who makes his name in this tournament. Um, and yeah, as you said stacked with talent and, and I think it's at this stage it's uh it's looking like it's all pointing towards a Brazilian winner who that might be I have no idea but not only is their their team stacked with with talent but but also I think we're seeing them be a bit more savvy on on the managerial appointment side you know I think this is probably the best group of managers managing Brazilian sides that we've had in a long time as well so um it's going to be uh yeah, going to be hard to stop these Brazilian juggernauts at the moment. And does anybody have any analysis on the thriller which took place in in this group in the other match? Darn right I do. I watched all 90 minutes of this one, folks. Uh, <laughs> everybody's favorite tactical genius, Deportivo La Huayra side. Nil-nil uh, draw against Emerita Cali. They've now won a game in this group by virtue of three draws, or at least have done as well as if they had won a game. Um, they've not entertained any of us, really, but you know, give them credit. Uh, they're well organized. They defend really well. It takes a lot to break them down. They had a really good chance to, to take the lead in this match, but a really good save, ironically enough, by the Venezuelan keeper, uh, Grataro from America to Cali in the opening 20 minutes. But after that, this was one-way traffic, and America are... Pretty unfortunate. I don't, it's not, I don't think it's right to say that they're unfortunate not to have won this game, but they absolutely could have, and they created the chances that could have allowed them to win it. Uh, the best chance falling to Santiago Moreno about seven minutes into the second half when he got through one on one with Carlos Olsez. Beat the keeper, couldn't beat the post. His effort hit straight off the woodwork. Uh, so good saves by Olsez, some good kind of team defending. Uh, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Deportivo La Huayra are really well organized, um, particularly for a South American team, particularly for a Venezuelan team. Um, they move in sync really well. They kind of force you into just pitching the ball out wide and crossing it into the box, uh, and they're really good at defending that. And when you don't have you know, kind of the, the good target striker to, to break that down, they're hard to beat. Uh, Adrian Ramos, who was someone Simon mentioned on last week's show, back in the lineup for America to Cali, thought he played well, gave them that target option. When he went off for the final 10 minutes and the Peruvian Aldea Rodriguez came on, it kind of felt like the legs went out of this America side. Rodriguez is a big guy, but doesn't play very well in that role. Um, and that is, is another thing that kept them from taking all three points here. So, look, um, I applaud Deportivo La Huayra's commitment to the bit here of, you know, hey, maybe we can go through with six points if we just draw six times. But at some point, they're going to have to win a match in this group. Uh, we'll see if they can do that. I think you know making the Sudamericana would probably be a pretty good success for them. But the opportunity is there. You know, The Cerro Porteño side has been bad for two straight weeks. America de Cali are, are not firing at all cylinders. There's a big old hole uh, for second place in this group. So you know, let's see if they can take it. Uh, La Huayra, Cerro Porteño next week 
is a big match, although I might encourage you to kind of wait and see what happens before deciding whether to watch it. <laughs> Go back and watch it if it looks good, but it might also just be nil-nil. All, all eyes on that, I think. Um, okay, well, No, probably yeah. just my eyes, Adam, to be completely honest <laughs> with you. It's just me watching 90 more minutes of La Huayda defend. Yeah, well, we're going to wrap up the show there. Just going to quickly come back to you, Austin. Where, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Um, we've got some really good stuff on the Libertadores website and app this week. As Tom mentioned, we've got a profile of Manchester City bound Taiki. And we also today published an interview with uh, American, Argentine, Ecuadorian, tri-national uh, midfielder Michael Hoyos for Barcelona. Really, really good story. Um, so I definitely encourage all the listeners to check that out. He's playing really well for Barcelona. He's a player that, you know, 10 years ago um, looked like he could have been the next big thing for United States soccer, chose to play for Argentina at the youth levels, um, and then just had a really interesting story of kind of going down and coming back up. And it's really good to see him playing really good football. So I would definitely encourage all the listeners to check that out. And Tom, where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at TomRobber89. Nothing in particular to plug. Uh, we'll have some pieces coming up fairly soon from a variety of places. But uh, yeah, always uh, some South American chat on there. And you can find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. Um, also sign up to my Chilean football newsletter called Pachanga, if you get the chance, which is on sub- Substack. Um, and yeah, that's, that's all from me this week. Um, thank you for Tom and Austin for joining me to discuss an uh, interesting round of Libid Stories action. I'm sure we'll be back next week, hopefully with Simon back on the show as well. And all what's left for me to say is a huge thanks to our listeners and goodbye. <laughs>